I would like to talk about community a little bit because um, here in New York, um, in Westchester, New York City, it rained all day long. And I don't know what the weather was like where you were, but here it was just really quite gloomy. That was, that's one way to put it. I know one person in our song loves constant rain, but I am not that person. So I felt so enclosed and so cut off. And I kept waiting for a break in the rain so I could take a walk at least. And some days I'll just go out in the rain, but I wasn't in that state today. But I, it dawned on me late in the day to remember that rain is actually a, a gift. It's a gift to the earth because I have friends in Northern California who are already anxious about drought and about the coming fire season. So I shifted my perspective from this lonely isolation, waiting and waiting for conditions to be just right for me to opening to receive rain in a different way as in in a in, as part of an ecosystem and it occurred to me of course this is memorial day weekend and uh, and many of us, I mean, here, certainly no one was going to the beach or barbecues. It's something that we've come to associate with the kickoff of summer, right? And it's natural. We used to talk in the Hudson River song about how universal it is to start pining for that, to have a sense of yourself as if there's that perfect, I don't know, beachfront party or this perfect ideal place of happiness and inclusion and community and joy, and you're not there. And what really got interesting is that sometimes people who actually were at those parties had the same sense of binding. They'd be sitting at the party, drink in hand, ocean crashing on the beach, and they'd still feel left out or miserable. And I saw this cartoon that had a dog giving a TED Talk, which I'm sure is imminent, but a dog is giving it a TED Talk and saying that thing that you've been chasing your whole life is actually part of you, presumably meaning a tail. And I know it's not good if dogs do that. But anyway, the dog's point was made that there's this pining, this longing, and I want to be there in that place. 
even in the physical sangha, to actually be with people. But I invite you to see, and yes, that's true, and it's perfectly understandable and natural to right now experience sitting wherever you're sitting, wherever you are, to let your attention soften and open, to shift away from the head and its thinking and its stories, to sink a little bit more into sensation, into a feeling of being present in the most simple and direct sense. And if you're in this neck of the woods, you might hear the sound of rain. And if you're farther north or farther west or across the ocean, different weather. But I invite you to open to remember that you're in a living world and that you have these other faculties that, that can perceive and receive that truth, that living truth. And, and letting go of all hope for anything, because what you would hope for would be that conditions change or shift or improve. But instead of that, to just be willing to wait, to be just like this, to be in the rain, to be in the sun, to be in the darkness even. And notice that there's something in you that just innately knows how to open to this. So Memorial Day also, of course, is a holiday for mourning and honoring people who have died in or in service to this country. So it inspired me to, to wonder and to question, what, sir, what does it mean to serve? And right here, right now. And it might inspire instantly, that word might inspire a bit of dread, like, oh, no. She's going to talk about, you know, something I have to do or something I haven't done or something we haven't done. No, no, not those things. I have been so interested today sitting here in the rain waiting to see my friends to begin to notice that I can shift, that we can shift right now. We can shift perspective, oh, uh, an attitude, let's call it an attitude right now, from this kind of lonely striving 
where I hope I can get something out of this. I hope it's worth it. Or whatever state you might find yourself in. To bringing the attention to yourself without thought. Just let the awareness come back to you, to this body, to this feeling state. Letting everything be welcome. It's completely okay to not feel okay. To any edge, any sorrow, anything unresolved. Let yourself be just like this. And notice that there is within you, even before we sit, a responsiveness, a, a willingness. And it, it doesn't have to be complete, just a little bit of willingness to be present with these people, with this group. And notice something quietly extraordinary that even though we aren't all sitting in the same space physically tonight, we also are still sharing something. And it's not make-believe, it's something very real. And we begin to understand what some people have called me ecumenical, and I take that as a great compliment, because there's a truth that we seek that isn't a doctrine. It's alive. It's something inside you. And it's the truth. We begin to know it when we realize that we can go from our thinking our busy, busy heads and what we hope to get and what is this about? Where is it going? And I don't feel so good. I'll, I'm going to duck out early or whatever is going on to, to just peel yourself away from that thinking and drop into what some ancient people called the cave of the heart right now, drop into the center of your experience, into sensation and feeling. And allow yourself to notice that you're not alone, that you're open to the elements, to the sound of the rain, to the quality of the light, and to this community of people who are seeking something just like you. A greater awareness that's not something far-fetched, but that's right here. That's right here.
I, I saw another cartoon that I will share before we said that I loved. And when you go to a hotel, you know, you can get a wake-up call. So the top box showed somebody in bed calling the front desk for a wake-up call. And the woman behind the front desk was saying, you are the universe experiencing itself, <laughs> which I think is pretty cool. I'm going to demand that if I ever stay in a hotel again. But just inviting us to see that as we take our seats right now and let ourselves relax and sit up straight, that we are enough, that we have everything we need to experience what it means to be present, to have presence. We, just like this, can open to receive the deeper truth of our lives that we are here. So let's sit, let yourself be comfortable with your eyes closed. Some people are not comfortable with closed eyes, in which case you can avert them, but it's best to let your eyes close. And once you do, just notice, just let yourself take in an impression of how it feels to be you today in this moment. And notice how it feels to be completely acceptable, just like this, completely accepted by an awareness that is innately kind, accepting. And let this awareness soften the tensions that you might find, even if it's just a bit. And let all the thoughts happen, all the pictures in your head, all the impulses, let everything be just like this. 
and notice that you can bring the attention to the sensation of being in a body sitting here. So nothing banished, nothing suppressed or changed, but also present. Notice that when you make this movement of return, of coming back to the body, you also open. Sati, the ancient Pali word for mindfulness, means to remember, to remember presence. yourself rest in stillness. Noticing that stillness is alive, nourishing you, supporting you.
And when you feel lost, just come back and sink into sensation. Just let yourself sink. Notice as you sit, as we sit together, you feel less alone. Presence is here. Notice how it feels to let yourself be seen completely without fear.
by an awareness that sees with kindness, with compassion, without thinking. Rest in stillness, letting go of all striving.
settle down, come home to sensation and open up to an awareness that sees with kindness and acceptance.
Thank you for your practice, for your presence. And if you have questions or observations about the practice, we'd love to hear them. Being mindful of other people here and keeping observations and questions to practice. You can just raise your hand so I can see you if you want to speak. Thank you, Tracy, for um, for everything and the teachings that you provide us each week. My question is a practice question about impermanence and the moment. So you had said in the beginning that even if we're in the, at the party and having a moment of um, great satisfaction, we might still have feelings of... Um, unsatisfactoriness of life, I guess. And of course, in our practice, we do have the knowledge that we live with, you know, the, the sights of sickness, old age, death. But I think what I'm trying to get at in, ineffectively <laughs> is that the older, the older I am, the more I know that these things exist, the less it becomes an intellectual exercise. And the more the awareness that these things happen. And I think um, my mother passed at a relatively young age and went from being seemingly fit and healthy to receiving a diagnosis that within a few years she had passed. And I remember it was like a before and after, literally in a moment. And, um, and so, I don't know if I'm making any sense with this, but no matter how wonderful a moment is, I live with that knowledge. And so when I return to sensation, I don't know, there's, there's kind of like a haunt, haunted element that these things come for all of us and not to be gloomy um, because I had a very pleasant weekend, but I'm just, I guess my practice question is, we're always in the bardo in a sense, like how do we, I guess, how? That's what would be my question. I think you know where I'm going with this. Well, it, yeah, it's, um, it's a universal question in a sense. It, and when people sometimes, when they first hear about Buddhism, the Buddha Dharma, it seems crazy, you know, because it's based on the idea of impermanence and the the reality that we all suffer and that we're dukkha suffering ranges from physical pain and agony to that slightly uneasy sense that no matter how good things are in this moment, they're going to change. 
things are going to pass. So it's like, what the heck? How is this possibly a, a, a way of liberation? It just doesn't make sense. And how can it be? But what we're really invited to see in this practice of, and I've shared that feeling of coming home to sensation might not be good news. <laughs> you know, what if you don't feel good or you feel really creaky or you're in a terrible mood and I'm being invited to pay closer attention to that? That's crazy. But what we're really invited to see so often in this practice are things that are right here and we just don't notice. For example, we see when we bring the attention back to the body that there's an attention in us that's, that's larger than our thinking mind than our stories or our incipient sense of doom, that there's something that's accompanying us that feels kinder than that, that's right here. And so somehow that already begins to be a little bit freeing. And it hasn't told us anything in words but it invites us to see that maybe we're not as isolated as we think. And as we begin to practice resting in this attention, and again, just for a moment, not big long stretches, but just moments, we begin to see that this awareness itself has other qualities. And they're right here. It's not like something's being invented. For example, we begin to discover that what we pay attention to, what we give our awareness to, tends to grow. So if, if we're in a mind state, and I love the word mind state in Buddhism because it includes emotions and th the patterns of thought that go with them. So if we're giving our attention to a mind state that's like, uh oh, it's all downhill from here. And I already think, I feel a tumor is growing or, you know, the states we can get into. We're giving our attention to that, and and it, it and it grows. But then, when we sit together in a space like this, or we're alone in meditation, and we allow ourselves to have just this resting attention on the body, on sensation, on noticing that we're opening that we have perceptions and impressions, that we have a sense of belonging. Oh, I overlooked that. Then that begins to grow. And we begin to see that we're not just our thinking. We are also these qualities of kindness and compassion that are right here. So our life, we begin to say, oh, you know what? 
I can have a completely new life that's not based on everything turning out the way I think it has to, but that's based on being present with this accompanying attention moment by moment. So this is a path of discovering a truth that we live moment by moment, no matter what. Does that make sense? So even if you did get a diagnosis, you could dedicate yourself to giving your awareness, your attention to life in a way that serves and nourishes. Don't we feel when you said it's really quite extraordinary you could have the most the bleakest day and just for a moment sometimes literally for a moment when you're sitting and you're more present you feel as if you're part of something greater a greater whole and then you're contributing to it somehow you're serving it by giving it your attention, your awareness. And that it's feeding and serving you in turn. It's like medicine. And reminding us that we really don't know. And that's good news. That there's space for surprises of all kinds and healing and connection. And we just can't think it up. And as T.S. Eliot said, the, the faith and the love are in the waiting. It's not what we think it's going to look like. It's that little bit of willingness to be present and open. And then here comes life. So impermanence is also good news, really good news. Tracy, I sometimes find myself um, thinking about why is it that we find ourselves here? You know, the particular people who are in this sangha and, and, and other people who are in other sanghas. And um, you don't, I don't think I've heard you talk, or if I have, I don't remember much about um, karma. And I'm wondering if you would talk about it and also, um, it, it, the interplay between karma and the possibility of choice and free will and um, and and how karma affects 
our um, practice and how when we live by some of the principles of the Dharma um, that um, affects future karma. I guess just your thoughts on karma in general. <laughs> that's a wow, question. I know that's a really big one, but I hear you talk about it. I guess I'm curious, maybe you could start with um, maybe why you don't talk about it. Or, okay. I, I don't, it's not like I'm keeping a secret, but <laughs> I'm happy to talk about it. But the Buddha, be mindful that the Buddha himself said that karma is unknowable. It's mysterious and unknowable. But let's talk about it for a moment. Um, karma means action. So that it means action on every level from outer action to thought which is kind of action. It's a neurological event. Our feelings are actions. And then the Buddha famously says that everybody, all beings, all beings, not just people, are heirs to their karma. That basically we make ourselves in light of our actions including our attention, what we give our attention to. So that, um, say, here's an example that's really kind of interesting to think about. Say you have a difficult relationship with somebody and it's, uh, it, it's something that's really hurt you and you've ruminated about it a lot. And in a certain moment of stillness, when you have a more spacious, um, a kind of repose and space, you decide, I'm going to forgive this person, if only for a moment, because you understand that you're doing it for yourself. You're letting yourself not be the jailer, not carry this heavy weight of pain and grievance. So just for a moment, maybe you try on how it would feel. I release you, I forgive you, and I do it in a spirit of love and compassion for myself. Go, go in peace, go your way. In that moment, you change your karma. And we can think of it in those moments that you have changed your trajectory from one of continued, I am a jailer, I will never forgive them. I, you know, I'm carrying this grievance like heavy chains to putting those chains down and letting yourself be free for a moment. And you can feel it. Like lately I've been loving the word enlightenment because it's not just visual, it's also a feeling of being lighter, softer, lining up. 
putting something heavy down. So that's one way to look at karma. It can be a practice. And another way to look at it, which is traditional and Buddhist tradition, and really interesting to think about is, um, and I told the story a long time ago uh, when we were sitting in Nepron Park, where the woman who raised the Buddha was talking to a group of Buddhist nuns tell us a story, tell us a story, tell us a story. And she told the story, and it was a traditional story that's just recently been uncovered that of their lives together. And this isn't just Buddhist nuns. All of us, according to Buddhist tradition, everybody here, even if you're off camera, has known each other for lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. So the story that I've just mangled about the mother of the Buddha, I'll do it justice in another week. The punchline, now that I've spoiled it, is that all of these nuns and the mother of the Buddha had known each other over and over and over and over in all kinds of relationships, in all kinds of settings, in all kinds of lands. So, and even if, you know, most of us don't believe in that, literally, but see how relaxing it feels to have that degree of familiarity with people. That, that we're just beyond Ken, Judy. We've known each other in all kinds of situations, all kinds of weather, all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of roles. And furthermore, the mother of the Buddha told her, her friends that we're sticking together until we're all enlightened. So it, there's something kind of beautiful about even if it's not your tradition, you're not interested to entertain the idea that you literally have all the time in the world. No pressure. Because we're staying together until everybody is free. So that's another way to look at karma, that it's an invitation to, um, that first of all, that people come to a sangha or to a practice because their karmic conditions have led them to seek this practice. It's like chemistry. And here you are, and it couldn't be otherwise. And the Buddha practices a kind of teaches a kind of limited free will, meaning that we're heavily conditioned. And yet 
we do have the capacity to see, to sit down and become aware. And lastly, again, to remember when he says karma is mysterious and unknowable, that there, there isn't, we can't do it. We can't just figure it out and crack the code and do it. And so that invites us to completely relax. It's like totally relaxed, Judy, because nothing is under your control. Nothing. It's like the, the mysterious workings of karma that predate, like you and I have been hanging out in various forms since the dawn of time. So just relax. Does that begin to speak to it? Very much. Thank you so much. Yeah. So we covered a lot of ground in that question. And, and so we've come to an end. And that was kind of a lot. So um, we take our final seat in the spirit of just really completely relaxing. Completely relaxing. With two hands in our heart space. And grateful for Sangha. We had no idea that we knew each other so well. <laughs> And for so long, but we do. And um, grateful for the practice. Grateful for this awareness imbued with compassion and acceptance. And our capacity to receive it. And we don't keep it for ourselves alone, but we let it shine out in every direction to all beings everywhere. May all beings be safe and protected from harm and danger. May all beings find Sangha community acceptance. May all beings everywhere be well and happy and know that they're accepted. May all beings everywhere be free. Thank you for your practice. Take good care. Keep practicing. Come sit with us again.